Um, City Reach, it's really great to have uh, Pastor Graham out from... Reach, Marion. It really is a pleasure and a delight for me to be with you this morning. I feel like we're part of the City Reach family, even though I'm from up north in Oakton. It's just great that we, we share this DNA and this love for the gospel. Uh, so it's great to be here. Now, one thing that Lawson didn't mention is when we moved here in 2018 to Australia, a large reason why we ended up in Adelaide is because of that man there. So Lawson was the first person that I actually contacted with. We suddenly hit it off. We felt this real kindred spirit. So if today goes horribly wrong, blame him, not me, right? He's the one who started it all off. Now, uh, just like Lawson said with the family, my wife, Irina, and I have a son, Elijah, who's 11, and Daniela, who's 8. Unfortunately, they couldn't be here. Uh, we've had that dreaded COVID going through our family. Uh, and being the good husband and father that I am, I decided to share it with them. Um, but that means my wife, is, is she's still part of her seven days in COVID. So they really wish they could be here this morning, but uh, she's still at home. Um, now, being around the world and sort of growing up in Asia, with my kids growing up in Asia, um, we kind of, they've experienced a lot of changes in their life. So we try to find a few traditions that we kind of stuck with as a family. And one thing that we did, uh, and we still do to this day, is a Friday night family movie night. And now, the age of my kids means that that movie always tends to involve talking animals. I don't know, any parents, can you relate? Like, there's no other movie that, I can't remember the last movie I watched where it didn't have talking animals. Um, but there was life before kids, BC, they call it. And in my BC life, I did actually enjoy war movies, right? I, I had like Black Hawk Down, Platoon, all that kind of thing. And the other night, we were watching Elvin and the Chipmunks, The Squeakquel. And I thought, how far have we come? You know that one, don't you? Yeah, a great movie, right? Um, and I thought, oh, how far we've come, right? From war movies to Elvin and the Chipmunks, the Squeakquel. Anyway, my favorite war movie is what I want to share with you. The favorite war movie I have is Saving Private Ryan. Has anyone seen Saving Private Ryan? It's, now, it's quite an old movie now. Can I have a show of hands? Just so. All right, so there's a few of you, right? A little bit of my generation. Uh, if you haven't seen it, go home and watch it, right? It's probably, uh, it's one of those difficult movies to watch, but it really is a good one. Now, for those of you who have seen it, how does Saving Private Ryan start? Who D-Day? No, there's actually a... Yeah, lovely, right? So I've got a picture of it. So this is, this is Private Ryan as an old man, and he breaks down in this graveyard in front of a cross. And behind him is his family, his generations, right? Uh, don't you love it when a movie starts this way? They start with the end, and then they flash back to how we got there. So we're left with this thing. How did we get to this point where we have this old man collapsing in front of a grave cross, and he's reflecting on something. And then suddenly, the scene flashes back to, Enoch, you said it, back to this beach. And there's this intense battle scene that's going on, right? So it's June 1944, and there's soldiers being killed, and there's bombs going off. Now, today, as we work our way through Psalm 73, we're actually going to walk into a battlefield. And a battlefield, as you know, it's a place that is dangerous. It is a place where you can get wounded. It's a place where you can get taken out. 
you can get killed. Now, we meet this guy called Asaph, and he found himself in this battlefield, in this war, and he admits, he says, I almost got taken out. I almost slipped, but he survives, and now he tells us with complete honesty what happened in this battle. It's kind of like that scene, he is now at the end, and he's telling us what happened before. And so he comes to this conclusion. Right at the beginning of the psalm, he actually states what happened. And this is what he says, verse 1. He says, truly, God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. See, this is the end of the story. If you hear nothing else, this is what you need to know. God is good. That's a fact, right? Now, Asaph, he knows this is true. He states it as a fact. But Asaph now remembers a time when he didn't live as if it was true. Now, we can do the same thing, right? We can come on a Sunday. We can sing the truth. We can hear the truth. We can believe the truth. But then we can go out and live our lives as if it wasn't true. This is what happened to Asaph in verse 2. It says this, But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. And he's, he's kind of giving us this picture of a rock climber, right? Have you seen a rock climber? They climb up, and they usually have a, a rope. And, it, and Asaph is saying, it's like, this rope is God is good. This is the one fact that I will hold on to. This is the thing that's going to keep me safe as I go through this mountain and climb this mountain. This is what I hold on to. Now, if you've seen a rock climber who's confident in the rope, you see them, they relaxed. They lean back in the harness. They're trusting the rope. But if you look at a, a, someone who's obviously new to rock climbing, what, what do you notice about them? They tend to like really stick to the mountain, right? They're not, they don't have the full confidence in the rope that it's going to hold them through whatever may come. And it's as if Ephesus is saying, like, I, I had this belief, I trusted that God was good, and suddenly I looked down and I lost my confidence. I lost my confidence that God is good, and I almost slipped, I almost tumbled down. And the reason this happened in my life is because of envy, envy. In verse 3, he says this, For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. You see, Asaph, is, he's a churchgoer. He goes to church on a Sunday. He's actually one of the main men in the temple. He follows God, and yet he suddenly looks at his life, and he compares it to those who don't follow God. And he says to himself, you know what? Oh, man. I actually kind of wish my life was a little bit like that. I look at what they've got. I look at their lifestyle. I look at their prosperity. I look at their relationships. I look at their comfort. And I think to myself, oh, man, that looks good. That looks good. And then he, for the next 11 verses, he just goes into this description of the wicked. This is how he sees their lifestyle, and he describes their life. He says, look at these guys. They, they're healthy, they, they're wealthy, they're enjoying life. They live as if they've got no cares at all. 
He says, but you, you look at them, they, they do evil, they, they violent the way they speak, they threaten people. They're not concerned about the rest of mankind. They just live for themselves. They, they proud, they like wear their pride as a necklace, right? They show it off, they're not ashamed of it. And Asaph looks and he goes, the worst thing about them is they mock God. They mock God, they say, you know, where is your God? Where is your God? He doesn't strike me down. How can he know what I'm doing? And Asaph sees that he has no, they have no fear of God at all. No fear of God. Now, the truth is, no one's life is really that good, right? No one's life is really that perfect, looks that great. You, all Asaph needed to do was kind of scratch beneath the surface, and he would have seen actually their lives are not, not as great as he thinks they are. It's like, kind of like looking at someone's Facebook profile or their Instagram profile, right? You, you, or especially an influencer, you kind of get this two-minute highlight reel of their life, and you think their life is perfect, and they're always on holiday, and they're always buying something, but that's not the reality. You see, what Asaph is really thinking is God is good to those who are pure or clean in heart. Well, I'm pure in heart, and I'm suffering, right? I'm suffering, but but these guys who don't even think about you, they're certainly not pure in heart, yet they increase in wealth. They, they have an easy life. What is the point of trying to live for God? Now, the truth is, how many of us have ever thought that? How many of us have got to the point where we ask that question? What's the point? It would never happen to us, would it? Um, so when we first moved to Australia, uh, what we did was my wife was studying a Master's of Teaching. So she came in February of 2018, uh, and we came as a family, dropped off. It was the first time I met Lawson. Um, and then I went back to Hong Kong with my kids, who were very little at that time. Uh, they had to finish their school year, and I had to finish my work contract till about July. And being a dad, I just thought, how hard, this, how hard can this be? looking after kids for four months. The, the most my wife had ever been away from my kids was for one night, and now suddenly we were going to do four months. And I thought, they'll be fine, honey, they'll be fine. They weren't. They weren't. It was honestly, I don't recommend it to anyone. It was horrible. It was really horrible. I, I have this newfound respect for my wife in what she does as a mother, because it really taught me uh, quite a few things. Now, part of that was trying to get my kids to church on a Sunday. Uh, and we lived on, on one of the outlying islands. It sounds more romantic than it really was. But we lived on one of the outlying islands, and we had to take a ferry to Hong Kong mainland to get to church, right? Now, if you missed the ferry, there was only another one in an hour's time. So you had to make the ferry. Now, it's Sunday morning. It's crazy. The kids are not putting on their shoes right. They're grumpy. I'm irritated with them. I'm trying to get them out of the house, and they're not moving. Eventually, we get going, and we're rushing down, uh, down to the, the ferry, and I bump into this family we know. And there they are, smiling. They're dressed in board shorts, T-shirts, towels, cooler box, esky, I think you would relate to it, right, Esky, and 
They see me, oh, hi, how are you? And I say, oh, I'm fine. Inwardly, I'm like, I'm, I'm just really ready to rip my kids apart, but, but I'm fine, I'm fine. Um, and then, how about you guys? Oh, we're going to the beach for the day. And I go, oh, that's lovely, that's lovely. We enjoy yourselves. But really, inside, I'm wishing that the heavens will open, that it will rain, that it will destroy their beach party. Because I'm thinking to myself, I want that. I want to be wearing board shorts. I want to be going and sitting and relaxing on the beach today. And I want to be eating ice cream. And it just irritates me. I get on the ferry. We just make it. I'm more irritated with my kids. Everything seems to bother me. All because the seed of envy had been planted hours earlier for you. Now, maybe you look at your life and you go, I'm single, right? And Lord, I've, I've served you. Why can't I find that perfect person? Right? Every time you go on Facebook, it looks as if another one of your friends just got engaged. And inward, it just, it hurts. Maybe it's, it's a job. You think, well, everyone else seems to be getting a promotion, getting their dream job. What about me? Maybe it's a house, you just can't find that place to live, or it's a holiday. And you look at someone else's life and you go, why is it so easy for them? Why does it look so good for them? Lord, why do you make it so easy for them? Um, I found a, a blog post by a girl I know. She's a, a believer. She loves Jesus. And, but she's been through a hang of a lot. Uh, she's faced a lot of battles. But she shares her thoughts on this blog post. Now, they're very real, and they're very honest, and they're very raw. And I want to read them to you. And this is what she said. I, I don't understand what you're doing. She's talking to God, right? I don't understand what you're doing. I don't like what is going on. I want answers and clear, explicit instructions and directions. Why does it just keep getting more complex? Is there seriously any end to the challenges and setbacks? I mean, I mean, how much more can one person take? Two steps forward, ten steps back. I want some clarity ASAP. And here it is, guys. This is what she says. Why do other people seem to be so successful? Why is it so much easier for them, especially those that don't know you? I mean, I'm considering some options here, God. Are you even listening? Now, that is really a modern-day version of Psalm 73. It's the cry of the heart there. You know, Asaph, it's all too much for him. This is exactly what he's feeling. Why is it so much easier for others? And this is what he says. He says, in vain, I have kept my heart pure. In vain, I've kept my heart clean. And what we're doing is we're getting to the heart of the problem now. You see, Asaph thinks that his righteousness deserves something. I do good. Therefore, I deserve good. And let's be honest, have we ever thought that way? Come on, God, I've been, I've been pretty good. I go to church every Sunday. I serve you. I serve in kids' ministry. I serve in the worship team. And I've got nothing. 
Yet Johnny over there, like he doesn't do anything. He doesn't give you a second thought in life. And he seems to have it so easily. I deserve more, God. I deserve more. You see, that's what he's thinking. And in verse 16, he, 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 it's bothering him. And he says, I, when I thought to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task. Because he's wrestling with his faith that tells him God is good versus fact, which is life around him. And he goes like, the two just don't seem to add up. God is good, that's what my faith tells me, but I just can't see it in action. I don't know, have you ever felt like that? You believe God is good, but everything that you're seeing, everything that you experience seems to go against that. He's troubled, right? Asaph is, is really wrestling with this. And he just can't get around it until he does something that he should have done all along. It's the best thing he's done all psalm. He goes to church, right? Verse 16, until I went into the sanctuary of God. Suddenly, the light comes on. Suddenly, he gets perspective again. I don't know about you, but so many times when I felt full of doubt and my faith being weak, I'm carrying sin, I'm burdened down. The best place that you can go is church. You go and you meet with God's people and suddenly you're lifted again. Suddenly you get right perspective again. Church, when, when we're hurting and we're full of doubt and we can't see God's goodness, that's not the time to stay away from church. That's the exact time that we should go to church. Be with God. Be with God's people. And it leads to this question. Why do we go to church? Why do we go to church? Well, we, we come to church to worship the Lord, to offer a sacrifice of praise because He's worthy. But we also come to church to get the right perspective on life and the world. We, we come to church to see life through God's eyes and His timeline. You see, the world disciples us every day, whether we realize it or not, right? Whatever we see, the billboards we read, what we watch, everything is trying to tell you, this is the way that you should live. This is the way that you should think. This is the way that you should feel. This is the way that you should spend your money. This is the way that you should spend your time. But we come to church and suddenly we get God's perspective on life. We get God's perspective on what we should do with our lives. You know, if we go back to that, that time where I met that family on the way to church, right? And I looked at them going to the beach and I really wanted their, their day. I wanted that day to just go and sit and chill on a beach. But when I got to church... And we started worshiping, and I was with God's people. Suddenly, perspective came. And nothing changed. My kids were still crazy. I was still irritable. But I had this change. Lord, I don't, I don't want to live for my own pleasure. Actually, Lord, I, I want to be with you. Because better is one day with the Lord, one day in his courts, than a thousand elsewhere. It's just this perspective, and it's the same for Asaph. Nothing's changed in his circumstances, 
right? Nothing's changed, but he has a completely different view of the very people he was envying. And you know what's changed? Is that he sees their end. He sees their destiny. See, because in the end, they will lose everything. See, he's been looking at their life and he's been envying the journey that they're on, envying the good things that they enjoy, but now he sees their destination and it changes everything. It's kind of like you're driving down the highway, right? And your car is not going that great. It's in desperate need of a service. You don't have the money for the service. And it's battling to keep up even with the speed limit, if you can believe that, right? And the kids are in the back. They're fighting. They're arguing. And suddenly, this big, beautiful, shiny BMW comes past. Sorry to anyone who drives a BMW. But anyway, there's this BMW that comes past. And you look inside, and the family's happy, right? This car's got all the accessories. You look inside, husband's smiling, wife is gorgeous, music's playing. It looks like they're going on this incredible holiday. Kids have all the gadgets that's keeping them entertained. And you look at this, and you look back at your life, and you go, oh, man, I, I wish I had that. I wish I had that. And they whiz past you. And they're gone. But about five kilometers down the road, a few minutes later, you drive past them again. But this time, you see how their journey ends. And it's an awful car crash. It's, it's a wreck. Absolute wreck. They've perished. They've perished. Everything in that moment, everything that they've enjoyed in this life, their family, their money, their friends, their health, their status, everything is gone. They hold on to nothing. They hold on to nothing. And as it says, truly you set them in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment. See, Asaph looks at himself and says, what was I thinking? What was I thinking? And he realizes to think that way is completely senseless. It just doesn't make any sense to envy those who don't know God. Doesn't make any sense. I'm going to show you a picture now. Does, does anyone know who she is? Okay, so this is Gia Karanji. She was the world's first truly supermodel, right? She was famous in the 1980s, which is probably why you don't recognize her. But in the 1980s, her face was everywhere, everywhere. World famous supermodel. And she was discovered at 17 and her life just took off, right? She exploded. Uh, she was f suddenly flying. She was a, a waitress. And suddenly she was flying all over the world. She was working with the best photographers. Um, she was working with the best magazines, the best brands in the fashion world. And, and suddenly she had it all. She had fame and fortune. And she had all this money and admiration. And with it, she didn't know really how to handle it. So she turned to drugs. And quickly, 
became an addict. Now, with the, her addiction, it started to affect her work, and she would arrive uh, to do a, a shoot, but she would have these violent temper tantrums. She would walk off photo shoots. She would fall asleep in front of the camera, and um, her career was falling downhill. As fast as it risen, it was it risen. It was now going down very quickly, and and people could see what was happening in her life. And an, an old Italian photographer who was, was famous, he saw it and he, he tried to rescue her. And he said, "Listen, hey, come along." Let's, uh, let's try and restart your career and get you on the right path. And I'll do this favor for you. I'll put you on the front of Cosmopolitan again. And that's what he did. He put her on, on the front of Cosmo. This is uh, the 1982, uh, April 1982 edition. And it was the last cover that she ever did. Now, when she arrived at the studio, this uh, old Italian photographer... Scalavo was his name. He suddenly looked at her and he said, I, I can't shoot you like that. And he made her sit with her arms behind her because she had all these needle marks in her arms that were, were visible. And he had to try and figure out a way to hide them for the camera. Now, it didn't work. She didn't get any better. She only got worse. Uh, and eventually... She ended up on the street turning to prostitution. And uh, they found her on the street. Some family members found her on the street. She was admitted to hospital with pneumonia. And while she was in hospital, she was diagnosed with AIDS. She had full-blown HIV. And less than a year later, at the age of 26, 26, she died due to AIDS-related complications. And at her funeral, there was only a handful of people. Someone who was known the world over had only a handful of people at her funeral. Not one person from the fashion world was there. Her, her figure was so... She had become so disfigured by the time of her death that they had a closed casket funeral just thought it, it's better that no one sees her. Now, let's be honest. How did you feel when you first saw her photo? And how do you feel now? I don't know about you, but when you first see that picture of her, she's gorgeous, right? She has it all. Man, and now, and now that I know her end, I don't, I don't feel any envy. I just feel compassion and sorrow that a life would end that way. You know, that's Asaf. He's saying it doesn't make any sense to envy someone like that. He actually says of himself, you know what? I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast towards you, God. Right? I was only thinking like an animal. Right? Animals, all they want, all they want is instant gratification now. They want a warm place to sleep and some food. That's all they want. That'll make them happy. And they want it now. And Asaph said, that's, that's how I was thinking. That's just the wrong way to think. That was, that was brutish and ignorant. 
But then, then the light comes on and, and he returns to a God perspective of life. And he says, you know what? I, I just realize, I've stopped realizing what a blessing it is to walk with the Lord. And he lists these blessings of being a believer. He says, like the light comes on and he goes, you know what? This is what we have in Christ. The, the wicked don't have, have this. Those who don't follow you don't have this. He says in verse 23, nevertheless, I'm continually with you. You hold my right hand. We are never alone. We're never alone as believers. You know, we, Adelaide is one of the top 10 cities in the world to live in. It is amazing. We love living in this city. But this is almost as good as it gets, guys. Adelaide is almost as good as it gets. And I'm very grateful that we live in this city. But there is still this incredible amount of loneliness that people feel in the city. As believers, we don't have that. We have the Lord. He's always with us. He goes on. He says, you guard me with your counsel. As believers, we have this relationship with the Lord that, that he leads us. You know, the best that people can do if they don't know God, the best they can do is, is have their plans and kind of hope that they work out. But it's always a guess. With the Lord, He leads your steps. He guides you. And He says, and besides everything else, we have eternity with God to look forward to. Verse 24, He says, and afterwards, you will receive me to glory. What a hope. What a future. That's what we have as believers. This is big picture stuff, right? Suddenly it lifts your eyes up from all your daily concerns and you go, no, whoa, whoa, this is beautiful. And then he pens these beautiful words. He says, there is only one in heaven I want. Nothing, nothing on earth, nothing that people have is anything that I can desire, Lord, because I have you. And he says this, whom have I in heaven but you? There is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. Nothing on earth that I desire besides you. You know, Paul said it like this. He said something very similar. He said it in Philippians 3. He says this, indeed, I count everything, everything as a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Everything, right? Everything that this world has, nothing compares to knowing Jesus. Nothing. And he, he would go, even, even if everything else goes wrong, even if every challenge I face in life actually turns out the worst case scenario, even if I get sick and have a heart attack, you know what? God is eternal. God is eternal. He's my strength forever. Whatever the wicked have, whatever they enjoy, it's only temporary. What we have is eternal. God is forever. And he says, my flesh and my heart may fail, so what? But God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. And then Asaph looks at them. And he says this. He goes, for behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. I don't know if you know what it means to perish. It doesn't mean to cease to exist. To perish means to become useless for what it was originally made for. 
Um, a few years ago, actually quite a while ago, um, summer holidays in Asia are like sort of July, August, September. And we were in Hong Kong, super hot, super sweaty, and we went to South Africa to visit my family. And it was freezing cold. So we went from super hot, super sweaty, and we arrived, and it was freezing cold. And I'd forgotten how cold it was and hadn't really packed any warm clothes. And I was freezing that first night, and I was like trying to find extra blankets in the cupboard wherever we were staying. And finally, I found a hot water bottle. And I thought, yes, my toes are going to be warm. And so I went, uh, I turned on the kettle, boiling the water, and I took the water, hot water bottle, and I poured the boiling water into it, and it just ran out the bottom. And I looked at it, it was just, just a disappointment that raced through me. I looked at it, and it had perished. It was so old that it had perished. It had become useless for what it was made for. It was still a hot water bottle, but it couldn't function for what it was made for. Church, every human being is made for a relationship with the Lord. We're made to know Him, love Him, walk with Him, enjoy Him. That's God's design. He wants everyone to know Him. His will is that none should perish. But there will come a time when people walk through life and they go, God, I don't want anything to do with you. I don't want the good news of your son. I will live life my way. And eventually they will perish. They will perish. So Asaph finishes with these three things. He says, number one, this is all from verse 28. He said, but for me, it is good to be near God. It is good to be near God. Guys, no matter what else you face, no matter what challenges come at you this year, the one thing you have to remember, nothing can take that away from you, for it is good to be near God. And sometimes, actually in the worst things you face, that is when you're the most closest to Him. It's a good thing to be near God. Number two, I have made the Lord God my refuge. I have made the Lord my safe place, my shelter, you know, when we think, what is the greatest thing that God has done for us? What is the greatest thing that God's done for us? He's given us His Son. He sent His Son to die on the cross, that He would, he would take your sin upon Himself and He would give you His righteousness, that the curtain would be torn and now you would have this relationship with Him. And that the power of sin and death is gone. That is a safe place. That is a truly a place of refuge. And Asaph will say, the Lord is my refuge. He's my safe place. And then he finishes with this. That I may tell of all your works. That I may tell of all your deeds. You know, because Asaph realizes, oh my goodness, it is so good to be near the Lord. I have this refuge, this safe place. And because that is true, I want to tell everyone about it. I'm not just content to, to let my, my life just be about me. No, I want to tell this good news to others. You see, he, he no longer envies the wicked. He says he, he's got it at last. He goes, actually, I'm much better off than they am. No matter what they have, 
I'm much better off. And he says, I need to tell them. I need to tell them about God's deeds, about his works. I need to tell them about the good news of the gospel. You see, what a heart change. What a heart change that happens. When he comes into to, to God's people, he gets God's perspective, and it suddenly changes for him. He goes, I've gone from wanting what they have to suddenly realizing they need what I've got. They need what I've got. You know, Paul in Romans 9, he had this heart change. And he says, I wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers. Basically, I, I, I know what a treasure I have in my relationship with Jesus. I know the, the power of forgiveness and to live and walk with him, but I want others to have it. I want others to have it. God, so the question for us as a church is what kind of people is God calling us to be? And that question can really only be answered by another question. Jesus was always good at this, right? I don't know if you notice when you, when you read, Jesus always answered a question with another question. It's a great tactic if you don't know how to answer something, you just answer with another question. But Jesus always knew the answer and he asked a question to actually really get to the heart of the problem. And the question we should ask ourselves, is Christ really our treasure? Is he really number one? Is he really the thing that we can truly say, I have nothing on earth that I desire beside you? You know, because if he is, if he is, we won't envy the lost. We won't go through life looking what everyone else has and wishing our lives were like them. If, if Christ is truly our treasure, we will realize their true end and we will realize our true end. We will realize that God is with us forever. And if Jesus is truly our treasure, if he's truly that number one, then our life's motivation has changed because we want everyone to know that treasure that we have and have it to share. So church, let's, let's declare with Asaph, right? Let's declare God is good. He is good. He is our portion. He's given himself to us. He's number one. I am his and he's mine. And because he's given us this beautiful gospel, I will. Notice the I will. I will declare your deeds to others. You know, I think one of the primary reasons we envy is because we are living for ourselves. I want what I want. But when we live for Christ, when we truly see Him, the treasure that He is, we want what He wants. We want what He wants. And I want you to know, church, that he wants you to know the love he has for you. He wants you to know that he cares about you. He wants you to know the treasure that you have in Christ. You don't need to look at other treasures. You need to look at him. And he also wants you to know, church, that he wants you to share his son with others. He wants you to share this beautiful thing 
that is called the gospel. You know, and those, those things that bother us so much, that envy that can creep into our heart. Actually, when you look at Jesus, there's that beautiful old hymn, right? I don't know if you know it. It says, turn your eyes upon Jesus and the things of this world will grow strangely dim. Because we suddenly see him in all his glory and all that other stuff that we so desperately think we need and want, it just fades away. So church, as we finish, let's not let this moment pass. If there's areas in your life where you're struggling with envy, and guys, we all struggle, right? We all struggle. God put this psalm in his word because he knew it would be a battle for us. It'll, he knew it would be a battle for us. But let's take those moments to bring it before him. You know, in that movie, Saving Private Ryan, it actually, he, he's, it's this beautiful picture of him kneeling before the cross. And that's where this has to go. We need to take our burdens, our envies, and we need to lay it before him. And you know what? God's big enough. If we can be honest and say, Lord, actually you're not my treasure right now. I treasure a lot of other stuff. He can take that. And you bring it to the foot of the cross and he'll show you just what a, a treasure his son is. And if there's something else that you're envying and holding on to, bring it before him now. And he will lift you up. Let me pray with you, Marion. Let's pray.